All right, gang, it is that time of the week. It's time for the True Wealth Radio Show on this, the best Tuesday you've had all week. Joining me in studio today, Matt Dixon, where we are going to start out talking about what's on everybody's mind, which is how did the football system get so messed up that the Ducks are playing at 21? Oh, <laughs> I saw that today, and I actually thought that it was like a prank. Like, ha, right. ha, ha, the Ducks are going to play Liberty. Is it Liberty? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know because I have a friend of mine who's like got kids that goes there right. in Virginia, and I'm like, really? And they're stoked about it, of course, and we're all like, what just happened? No, it, that's like, not right. Like, we should be playing Florida State or someone. Right? Something like that. It's really screwball, and of course, Florida State got hosed, too. Uh, you know, and I don't care what the conversation goes like. It goes like this. Well, what happens is there's a committee and they can make up whatever they want and did. I feel pretty good about it, though, because I didn't see like when it came out, I didn't see the results. And um, I got to hanging out with my brother and I he's like, hey, did you see the college playoff? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, guess what the four teams are and in order. And I got it exactly right. And he's like, how did you, you know, guess that Florida State got bumped out? And I'm like, well, I think the committee was just being honest and was like, hey, they're on their third string quarterback. And no, these other four teams it, are better. It goes like this. The committee's just looking at all of the variables and saying, yeah, they're undefeated. But you know what? Other teams travel more and we can get more money out of that market. So we're going to go ahead and do that. It could be. Yeah, I just don't buy it. I don't think that you say, well, a team's undefeated, but their quarterback's hurt, so therefore they don't qualify anymore, as if yeah. all the undefeated games don't matter. Yeah, I look at it, too, though. The conference that they played in was significantly weaker than you know the SEC, even the Pac-12. See, so this like, is where I think that, but how can you say that and then have a 21 in the Fiesta Bowl? Well, that part's just ridiculous. Oh, but yeah. the other parts are not, clearly. Yeah. See, I mean, this is what I mean about, so the, the schedule versus the strength of schedule. And that there's just a lot of subjectivity to this, mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. Yeah. And I think what really frustrates people in the end is that there's just so many teams, and ultimately, there's a combination of subjective things that get people to a championship. Mm -hmm. And those subjective things Neat. oftentimes are yeah. wagged by money. Well, it... I, I can see how it would be. I mean, Alabama's going to travel really well. Yeah, they Like, will. their crowd base is massive, right? Yep. Um, so it makes sense. Yep. And then you throw them up against Michigan, who has, like, the largest stadium in the United States, yes. over 100,000 people a game. It's like everyone's going to be tuned into the Rose Bowl. Yes. So. And so that's just at the end of it, it is so often the case. Follow the money. And, and, and so here we are on this the True Well show today, and you think we're talking about sports? We're not. I think we can follow the money to lots of things. I want to know where the market is and how are we following the money? How does that tie in? Okay, so <laughs> first I have to get the market up because I don't even look at it the same way anymore, right? Because mm -hmm. I've given up on the idea that we can predict the future. Have you? Yeah, I mean, I think you can predict certain things, like uh, capitalism is self-interested. Right? That's and a good these one. markets are self-interested, right? If you follow the money, mm -hmm. everybody that says, oh, this thing's going to go to hell in a handbasket, you should buy gold. And I think to myself, well, then what you have to agree to is that there are enough actors willing to implode the system that they could successfully do it. And I think that when you look at all of the political leadership out there, everybody has kind of similar goals. One is get reelected. 
mm-hmm. right? Some people are like, well, let's do the people's work. And others are, well, let's do the work of the people that put us here. Yeah. But, and But all of those people don't want the system to collapse. Right. Right. In fact, even folks that have done really extreme things oftentimes don't want the system to collapse. They just don't know any other way to shout from the hilltops that they want something different. And not that it's impossible, but you also have to think like the term system collapse, there would have to be a lot of things going wrong in order to collapse the entire system because there's always different levers that you can pull to bail out the system and no one wins if the system completely goes down. That's the question. Like how much debt is unsustainable? That's a great question. Is there even an amount? I I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. We, what we know intuitively is it's not right. You know, it's it's not right to borrow money and then pay it back with watered down money because you're essentially paying it back with less value than was borrowed. Right. Okay, so we know that, that watering down the currency isn't the solution because it destabilizes things. But this there's a little bit of a, the emperor has no clothes going on here, right? Mm. If everybody wants to believe that the emperor has no clothes, does the truth matter? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think there is a certain amount of that in the financial system that it self-heals because it's self-interested. Right. Right? Oh, things got way out of whack. I remember when 2008 happened and, like, people were losing homes and it was just pandemonium. And people were like, oh, you know, it's never going to be better. Every single piece of real estate is priced higher than 2008 unless you, like, put a meth farm on it or something and killed it. <laughs> right. So it's recovered. Right. And it actually didn't take, I mean, it did take a while for right. it to I mean, recover. It's but what, 15 years or something yeah. like that, 14, whatever. It's been a while. But it recovered. Right? That's the issue, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it does seem to heal because it's in its best interest. If capitalism want, is self-preserving, right? Mm-hmm. If it's If greed is the underpinning and something breaks, then it'll find a new way around it, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's I mean, just, it's strange. Here's, it's here's, like, a, here's it's a really the path simple of least resistance, right? So electric current wants to get to ground. Capitalism wants to get to profit. Here's, here's a really simple way to look at it, right? You, and everyone always bashes BlackRock. I get it. You might hate them you, or Fidelity or Vanguard or whoever. But if these institutions are holding a large chunk of the money or the majority of the money, do you think it's in their best interest for the stock market to completely collapse and for their assets to be worth way less than it was before? Or do you think they want it to go to all-time highs and so then they can make more money? Right. This is capitalism. And, and this is the part. I mean, I think when you when you follow the money and you follow some of the logic, I, I hear some of the theories out there of why the end of the world is coming. And I just kind of think it's not that it's a zero probability. It's that the probability is low enough that no sensible person would do that. Right? Or that you should trade on it. Right. Like if I could. Are you going to gamble your retirement account on an end of the world trade where everything is in like such bad chaos? It's like, well, does it even matter at that point? Like your livelihood and your lifestyle well, is completely changed. Flip it around. Right. If I could go to a casino and sit down at a blackjack table and I had 99 percent odds that something would happen and 1% odds that it wouldn't. Would you bet on the 1%? Right. Probably not. Right. And and the thing is like somebody out there is like, well, you bet on it because if you win, it's a hundred to one or whatever it else. It's like, well, that's so, you know, in this case, it's if you have a one in 10,000 chance, but you win a million to one mm-hmm. and you have to pick the bet, 
then the only person that plays that little tiny bet, I mean, either you play it with point oh nothing of your total pot because, well, if it goes off, at least I have it covered, mm -hmm. or you have nothing. So you play that bet hoping it goes off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you can't, you don't have enough to make the other bet. Right. So that's, those seem to be the two camps. But this is sort of how capitalism works. When, it's, when somebody says, well, all these horrible politicians on, you know, pick the side of the aisle that you hate, or they just want control. And I go, what does that mean? Yeah. Control right? of what? Control of what? Well, they just want to tell everybody what to do. It's like, but if they tell everybody what to do and they, you know, well, they don't want to, they just want everybody to stop having jobs and this, that, and the other, that's not self-serving to them if everybody stops working then the economy stops and all the wealth stops and all the things that they benefit from with wealth stop right so well no that's just i just don't think that's what it is what i think is that they want to stay at the the top of the food chain mm -hmm. i see a lot of corporate entities that are like i'm okay with big government because big government means it's super hard for the little guy to get ahead yeah. Right? It's a moat, right? It's a protective mechanism for the big organization. The government does the work. We saw this with Facebook, by the way. Mm -hmm. Right? You remember when Facebook's like, you know what? We do need to do more work to police what's being said on the platform. And so, so we need to monitor this. And in fact, we should legislate that we need to monitor this. What? You're, you're actually agreeing that we should monitor this? And they're like, well, sure. We have the money to do it. Anybody else that wants to go into competition against us couldn't afford to monitor it it would be too mm -hmm. expensive so we'll have no competitors right and their motive was follow the money not we must push a specific narrative I, mean, I think that sometimes narratives do get pushed or suppressed right well, but you could follow the money to that what's too. weird is how fast the narrative is changing right because mm -hmm. like for me it seems like not very long ago we were sitting here on air talking about like hey you know be calm be patient the markets are way down but this is not the time to panic and you fast forward here we are today we're on air and the markets are almost near all-time highs yeah, they're, they're near recovered yeah right? most accounts are recovered because well and you know. so, some of the investors out there probably don't even realize how far we've come in such a short period of time sure well, right, like if the you saw your are... September statement, but you didn't watch the November move in the market because you're waiting yeah. for the next quarterly statement. Yeah. You know, September October to December. was the bottom, and now November was one of the best months we've had in years. Yeah. And so the narrative has changed in the matter of just a couple months. Mm -hmm. I mean, November was the best month of the year, but not just the best month of this year. It's been the best month we've had in many years. So mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was a heck of a, a month. Right. So anyway, all of this to suggest this follow the money thing, I think you can use that as a, a really powerful tool in your analysis too, if you're trying to sniff out what the heck's going on in the world. I often look at this and think, well, what's the most likely outcome, mm -hmm. right? And, and here's the other thing. Uh, well, oh, I look at this. I have this, uh, it's this theory about how the world may or may not work. Uh, you want it, this, it, it goes. Are we going into the yeah, Dave I'm gonna make wave? You take a break, and then when we do, we'll come back on it. And on the flip side, uh, it's what goes with follow the money that if you pair these two things together, gives you a really high probability that you're going to be right in your theory. Okay, so grab your surfboards. We're going to ride the Dave wave when we get back. Jeez. Oh, <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Yeah, stick around with that intro. We'll be right back. <laughs> uh, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You listen to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Yes, and we are riding the Dave wave. <laughs> no, we are not. Yes, right. we are. We are we're going to ride the Matt wave here. Oh, uh, okay. If that makes any sense. No. Do you want to describe what the Dave wave is? This was termed many moons ago, right? So... No, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure which one you're talking. I mean, there's a there's a little bit of like technical theory yeah. that uh, was this amalgamation of things that I've done over the years, and I I sort of snarkily called it Dave Wave one time. You get like this said, feeling. Oh, it's like Elliot Wave. And I'm like, well, it's more like Dave Wave. I kind of modified it, and now everybody's like, oh, this is about Dave Wave. I'm like, oh crud. <laughs> I love the term though. So it's like when you go on a tangent, it's like here we go. This is your your whole piece put together in one and i i like it we have all these theories about the markets um for those of you that don't know i am uh and it's it's funny because i started out being very very fundamentalist as far as like i believed in fundamental data that's what drove the price of everything okay and most market research suggests that that's really the only thing that matters and technical data is useless and I have really come off of that theory. It came out of something called the efficient market hypothesis. Okay. Okay. And the efficient market hypothesis posits that everything that's known about a stock is reflected in its current price. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it requires new information to change the price. Um, I take issue with this theory. I, I think it's an interesting theory. It's a gr- you know great debatable theory. But where I take issue, and, and I'm allowed to take issue, I have a conflict of interest because we actively manage money, and so I. You know, I'm actively managing money because I think that purely passive strategies leave opportunity on the table. Okay, all right. Purely passive, in my opinion, right? But somebody will say, "Well, what about all this research?" You know, it won awards. To which I would say, "Well, you know, the research that gets funded often wins awards." Yeah. (laughs) And just because it's a theory doesn't make it a fact or a law. The other thing is, it has to do with scale. It's a pretty effective theory at institutional scale, right? When you're talking about billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, a lot of stuff gets rinsed out in the wash. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about smaller dollar figures, you can see little micro exploits. And if that were not true, then why would we see things like high frequency trading? Mm-hmm. Right? High frequency trading is designed to make profits off of lots and lots and lots and lots of micro transactions mm. and making tiny fractions sometimes of a penny, but doing it over and over and over again until it adds up to something material. Well, there must be an exploit worth doing. Or they wouldn't do it because follow the money. Right. Okay. So when you start to look at the way markets work, the bigger they get, the more that they're diluted. And so like a single transaction in a billion dollar pool, you know, $100 goes into a billion dollars. Nobody notices. Right. It's rounding error. Okay. $100 into a $100 pool, you're doubling the amount of money in the pool. This is also why penny stocks can be really volatile. You can have very thinly traded, small market capitalization stocks, and one or two investors come in with a chunk of money, and they buy up the entire available inventory, and it moves the price real quickly. Right. So you can see big gaps in prices in things like penny stocks. So if you're one of the little guys that's holding some shares, you feel good about it. But you feel good unless you can't sell. That's Because if they the clean problem. everything up and then there's no buyers after that, the price reflects the last transaction mm-hmm. is higher and you think you So then the value. next buyer might have to come down in price in order Correct. to scoop well, that up. Well, because there's no other people willing to buy it. So you know the whole inventory gets bought up or the whole inventory gets sold and you're like, well, now what? Mm-hmm. There's the, it's the spread between the buyers and the sellers and the, the number of buyers and sellers that will determine the price over time. Right. 
So um, where I take issue with the efficient market hypothesis is like this idea that not everything is efficient in the really short term. I think if you measure over years, it all comes out in the wash. If you measure over minutes or hours or days, there may be small opportunities. And that's because we're not all playing the same game. Right. Right. There are day traders. There are swing traders. There are long-term buy and hold investors. And there's increments in between. So everybody has their reason for buying and selling. And mm. if we're not all playing the same game, stop expecting that the same rules apply to everybody. Yeah. Right? That's just the issue is it's not the same rules if we're not playing the same game. We focus on this show oftentimes on investors, which is this longer term, accumulate wealth over time, ride through the day-to-day -day froth of the market because the overall trend tends to be positive. Also why I say things like capitalism tends to self-heal, mm -hmm. right? Over years, the boat tends to right itself and get back on course. But there can be a squall at any given time that can knock it darn near right. to capsize. And so for the person that comes up to you and says, I just want you to manage my money for a year, right? Like that's a hard one to say yes to because it's like, is a year long enough to... Probably not as an investor. Right. And that's the yeah. issue. And, you know, we've had that occur. People have come to our office and said, hey, you know, I've got a short term need. And we've said it's just not really our wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and frankly, I don't think you invest over six years or sorry, six over months, a year, six months, even yeah. a year. Yeah. I think investment is a multi year long term process. I think you are either managing the you're trying to get the maximizing your interest in the short term. Or you're trying to manage volatility, right? Right, and and, and so, you know, banks do a good job of that, mm -hmm. and some money market funds and some other short-term instruments. But I don't think that you know going out and buying stocks is a great way to guarantee an outcome. Six yeah, months I'm going to go buy stocks and I'm going to do it for a year and I'm going to make a bunch of money. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And the answer is maybe. Yeah, but <laughs> right. But I'm not going to bet the farm on it. Mm -hmm. it. It goes back to the, our our gambling analogy is like the risk and reward has to be there. Right. Right. But it's also why I don't bet on the end of the world, right? Because the risk and reward trade doesn't make sense to me. You know, mm -hmm. it's much more likely that we're going to not see the end of the world. Which brings me back to our question that came from the break, which right? was which we got away from, which is we talked about some of the ways that. Well, the market wants to self-heal, right? Mm -hmm. But what's one of the other things that you should understand? So we talk about follow the money, mm -hmm. market wants to self-heal, and the other is that conspiracies are require complexity, and most people aren't capable of that. Not as a group. Like, and I joke about this, but like we can't. Like, I live in a small community. We can't even get our HOA to agree on everything. Mm -hmm. You mean to tell me that we can get our government? The one that we all, you know, chuckle about, like the 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 service gaps, like you know, call the IRS, sit on hold for four days, you know, go to the DMV and you know, become a skeleton, whatever. It's that was a time joke, by the way. It just didn't land well. <laughs> but the, the the issue is, can we? Are people competent enough to pull off a big conspiracy? Right, like one big enough to really move the market in one direction or the right. other is what you're saying. I mean, I think that you can have really – like like what was interesting about Bernie Madoff was it's a really small group, right? There's three or four people that pulled this thing off. I think there were people within the organization that had no idea that they were crooked. 
Okay. Right? That they were doing stuff and they thought it was legit too. What's the story behind this? Well, Bernie Madoff had the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Right? Billions. Mm-hmm. Like like multiple billions of dollars in Ponzi scheme. Ultimately gets caught and it's because they are acting as custodian for the assets and people are writing them checks and they're giving them fraudulent statements declaring that money exists that's not there. Oh. Yeah. And so eventually it was found out he's spending multiple consecutive life sentences, like 150 years in prison. He'll die there. If he hasn't, I think he may have died already. I don't, mm. I don't, I think he might have died in prison. Uh, <clears throat> but that was a really famous one where uh, it took a really small group to pull that off. Right. Right. Which is why it's harder to see. Uh, um, it's easier to have a, a campaign where you... It's easier to pull off the heist if it's three or four people because those three or four people just all have to be in, in yeah. agreement. But to get hundreds of people to be able to be on the yeah. same page and working for that common goal when it's what's crooked... That or what you have is yeah. a lot of people that don't know what's happening. Like, if we have a conspiracy in the government level, there's only a handful of people, and most people that are operating in it... Are just don't kind of pawns. It. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this would be... Maybe the equivalent of at one point the IRS was um, more aggressively auditing um, organizations that sounded like they were right wing, right? This was a big criticism during the Obama administration was mm -hmm. that the IRS was being weaponized to target nonprofits that were specifically right wing nonprofits, and so if it had the name Patriot in it or something like that, they would they would go after those groups and they would audit them more frequently. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think that a lot of the personnel in the IRS may have had no idea that was going on at all. Hmm. Right. Yeah. But a handful of people in decision making authority, they maybe they did. Right. right? But that's a real small group of people to c commit that conspiracy. Now, it, it and later on, it kind of blows up. Right. So. But the stock market, man, there are so many participants. There that's are, the issue is like, how does the conspiracy, how do you get enough dollars behind a conspiracy in the market to fool all the different players? Well, and the other piece that I keep going back to is even if there is a conspiracy and even if people are playing on it. Capitalism ends up winning, right, because of greed. Like, yeah. The well, or I, I, I want to point out one other one because this one's fun. Like, if you're out there thinking about, well, what about like Enron? Okay. Mm -hmm. Capitalism didn't win in that case, right? That's they lied. True. That's true. Okay. If you are fraudulent, you can maybe temporarily, like, like if temporarily you for a season. That's kind of the issue, right? It's yeah. Like, so, well, what about these? Well, exploits that are crimes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cheating. <laughs> right, and cheating. The and SEC doesn't like cheaters. That's not capitalist anymore, <laughs> no. right? Capitalism is not supposed to be, and, and this is probably where it gets, like, there, there's some that are, like, super capitalist. Like, well, no, if you could cheat and get away with it, it's perfectly fine. That's capitalism. It's yeah, like, well, no, it's pump not. the brakes. Yeah. It's not, right? Because the, the whole point is that there's supposed to be natural price discovery and supply and demand balance and so forth, and those are, that's not price discovery anymore, when you lie. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is the issue that we have. In, one of the issues that we have in medicine, right, is that price discovery is very difficult, even for doctors, right? Mm. Doctor wants to go do a procedure, patient needs procedure. Nobody knows what it costs until after it goes through insurance. Right. Right. And nobody knows whether they're going to like doctors don't know what they're going to earn. Patients don't know what they're going to spend. It's like the great it's, mystery. Well, and, and it, it's all this black box stuff because of the way insurance companies are operating in the space and so you know i've had this like crazy theory that if you really want to fix a lot of the problems in medicine make just, pricing transparent make pricing transparent just make every insurance company disclose their negotiated 
price and panel. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like nobody can hide. They're like, well, why does brand X have a cheaper price than I do? I want that too. And the negotiations all change. That's it's, an it's, interesting theory. Well, I, it, it's it's like on how you could actually bring some transparency to the yeah yeah. Now, whether or not it would work, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert in this kind of stuff, but it seems like a start. Like I don't know how you ever expect to have healthy pricing metrics when it's like the Las Vegas mini bar, mm-hmm. right? Like you have no idea how much that bottle of water costs until after you paid for it. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good analogy. I like it. Yeah. So anyway, so there, there's the takeaways of um, the follow the money theory. Is you know, keep in mind that conspiracies have to be small. That uh, or with or they can be big, but just a limited number of people. Well, I, I say the the groups in charge of it are small. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, I think that's one of the keys. That um, largely the simplest answer is the the most likely to be right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you should follow the money. I so, like that. So there you go. Uh, anyway. Where the, where, how are we going to follow the market from here through the rest of the year? Uh, there are a few things I think we should share. But as I look at the clock, I realize I'll bet you they're going to ask us to take one of those obscene profit breaks. Okay. Let's do that. But when we come back, David, what do we got for him? Oh, we got, uh, at, we're going to ask Matt all about the derivatives landscape. It'll oh. be exciting. Stick around. Riveting. This is Dave Littlejohn <laughs> and Matt Dixon. Got True Wall on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. I don't know if it's probable again, but I actually it, can see where it comes from. Uh, uh, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Okay. And so um, I know at the break we talked about uh, coming back and we we're going to talk a little bit about derivatives market, which yeah. I think is probably relevant. But um, there's also an interesting piece <clears throat> that came out. And Matt was asking me about this at the break. So what are we, what are you reading here, Matt? Yeah, there was a headline article that came out just a day ago where one of the the big wigs from J.P. Morgan, Jason Hunter, uh, claiming that he believes that the S and P could drop to thirty five hundred by the middle of next year, which that's a pretty um, aggressive slide if he's right, right? Like he's really calling for a, a big downturn because I think today. Wasn't the S and P in the forty five hundred yeah, range? So he's predicting 4, like a thousand point slide by the middle of next year, um, which that and I know that J P Morgan has been a lot more um, negative and pessimistic about the markets than a lot of the other um, big institutions. Um, so J P Morgan a little bit bearish. A lot of the other institutions slightly positive to more neutral, but. It's interesting that you know you get a, a big name like that coming out and making such a big prediction. Well, and it sounds like it's being made around technical analysis. Yeah, so mm-hmm. just um, charting. Yeah, for, for the those most of part. you that are unfamiliar, uh, let me give you some language just to keep us on the same page. Fundamental analysis is the the stuff that you would typically find on a balance sheet. Right. Okay. So you'll find um, the price of the stock, earnings per share. Um, how much debt they have on the books, how many employees they have, what markets they serve. That's all fundamental type data. Right. Stuff that you can usually look up in a database. Um, when you get into some of the stuff that's more subjective, that would be things like the quality of the management, business strategy, um, their market strength compared to their competitors. Uh, market share is more fundamental. Right? You can actually look at how much do, of the market share does one company have versus another. But some of the more subjective terms still fall under the fundamental analysis headline. 
But then you get into technical analysis, and that's the study of price and volume. Mm-hmm. And what technical analysis is supposed to indicate for, for the chartists out there is it's supposed to be a reflection of the behavior of the buyers and sellers. Right. Okay. And so when you see a high volume, that means it doesn't mean there's a lot of participants necessarily, but it means there's, there's a lot, the people that are participating want to buy a lot. Okay. So that's volume is how many transactions occurred, like how much dollar volume was traded. Right. Okay? And the volume could be high if there's a lot of sellers too. Yeah. So you have the number of transactions and then you have the volume for the transactions. Uh, and, you know, what happens on the exchanges versus what happens in the, the tertiary market, mm-hmm. getting weird here, right? Um, there's the three markets that you think of. The, the first market we never talk about, that's the initial public offering or IPO. When, right. the stock when companies first, first offered, come out, yeah. That's the, that's the initial offering. The secondary market is people trading back and forth between each other. Mm-hmm. The tertiary market is institutions trading big blocks amongst each other. Right. You know, mutual fund and mutual so fund. So JP Morgan sends something to Fidelity, Fidelity sends yeah. something to Vanguard. And they're not using a market maker for that typically. And if you don't know what that means, that's the middleman that facilitates a transaction. So the secondary market usually has some form of facilitator, like the New York Stock Exchange is a facilitation. Acting as kind of the middleman to get one person the stock and the yeah. person who wants to sell it's the it. They're, market, yeah. they're, they're the provider of the marketplace, and the market maker is actually the companies that are buying and selling stock, putting it in their own inventory and using it to facilitate. So imagine, you know, oh, I have uh, a million shares of Google and somebody wants a thousand shares, I can give them a thousand out of my inventory while I get the thousand from somebody else that's selling and ah, you get the inventory it. immediately while I'm pulling it from somewhere else. Well, and that's nice because then you can make money on the difference between what one person's wanting well, to buy it for and then what the other person's the willing to sell it for. The market makers do position their books to be profitable. Right. Right. So they are making money on those spreads as well and they're choosing which inventory that they pull from to manage that. But that's that's kind of the first, second, and third order markets. Okay, so this technical study is you know you got this J.P. Morgan analyst suggesting that markets could pull back a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, where does this come from? It's there's sort of theories to this, right? I mean, the big theory would be uh, if you have a run up in pricing, and then a pullback, and then another run up, but it doesn't go higher than the last run up. Mm-hmm then for whatever reason, when you start getting close, the people that didn't get out the first time- Want to get out the second out. time. So they start selling, and the, the balance of buyers and sellers shifts, and then the price regresses. It's kind of like lemming behavior, right? Yes. Like all the lemmings keep running up the hill, so let's just keep following the herd and making money. But if all the lemmings start running down the hill, a lot more lemmings turn around and run down the hill. Yeah, so the, that's what part of what this study's about. Here's where it gets more interesting and more complicated. The stock market isn't the only market, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a second about the derivatives market. Ooh. Okay. So, Matt, just for our listeners, what are some of the what are what are derivatives in a basic? So what a, are what's what are some examples of right? Derivatives? So, in simple terms, a derivative is the ability to buy or sell something in the future, not today, but looking out into the future. So, like you could have a put, right, where you have you're looking at. Um, so a put's an option to sell, sell something in, the, in future. the future. Or and yeah. it's not just anything. A put is a so, so the derivative is linked to a core holding. Right. Right. So or you could have a call, which gives you the option to buy in the future. Which is another derivative of 
something, right? So let's right. continue to use, I'll pick Google as an example. Sure. I don't know why. But Google is the security. The derivative of Google is the option to buy, which would be a call option, or the mm -hmm. option to sell, which is a put option. Right. And sometimes people refer to these as insurance, right? Oh, I have a put option on Google. If Google's price goes down, I can sell it at a higher price now and make the profit off of the fact that Google's price right. fell. You have the option to sell it. You don't have to sell yeah, it. Yeah, it's the right, That's, but not the obligation. Right, there's a difference. Okay. Now, people can buy the right to buy or sell something, but they can also sell the right to buy or sell something. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets more complex. So, uh, and there's another instrument called a future. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. Let's just talk about the, the concept of derivatives is that right to buy or sell something. It's much easier to understand if we talk about houses, right? Oh, I went to my neighbor and said, I really love your house. If you uh, and you're, you have a for sale sign up, I'll make you a deal, right? Um, for the next 30 days, if you'll take the for sale sign down, I'll guarantee to buy your house for this price. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the neighbor says, sounds good. And then you go and discover that the neighbor has uh, a gold mine in the backyard. And then neighbor finds out and says, wow, my house is worth a ton more. I have all these mineral rights that are worth billions. <laughs> and you say, aha, but I purchased from you, right? Mm -hmm. This right to buy your house at the original price, so I can buy the house from you and force you, you out. So obviously you're gonna exercise your yeah, right. You're going to take the house so you can have the billions of dollars in mineral rights. But it, yeah. But it could have gone the other way, right. right? It turns out that you had black mold. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> you you purchased the right to sell the house, or you you know you offer the right to sell that. So then. And, and you discover that it's you know meth or something else, and you're like, well, nobody will buy the house anymore. It's valueless. And it's like, well, great. I can't, you know, I, I can't get out of it, right? right. So, so you could get trapped if you have the wrong structure. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, if but, we look out into the future, the derivatives market can also give us an indication of how the markets anticipate things are going to or happen. Or probability, almost, yeah. right? It's not, yeah, there are no guarantees in this one, but you can see that some people previously were betting on a direction, and you can right. look at the balance of where those bets are, and it gives And there's typically a range, right? Like, well, yeah. you know, we think that the market, you know, should top out at maximum at this point, or the maximum it should go lower is here. Now, does it have to do that? No. No. But And, and again, it's the same thing. Are we playing the same game? Like, right. somebody may be hedging something else, and so we're not sure why all those options exist the way they do. But it does suggest some future behaviors. But, yeah, and it's weird to think about, say, two or three of the biggest money managers in the world all have options around about the same price. Yeah. Or consider that a lot of the short-term volatility may be driven by options right now, mm -hmm. even if they're not institutions. You can right. see where a lot of the, the lemmings are running. Yes. Or at least, again, it where suggests they... the lemmings are running this mm -hmm. way. So all this to say, this J.P. Morgan analyst may not be smoke and crack. No. Right? It's possible. It's just I, I hate to think of the idea that um, markets going from 45 to 35 is about an 18% decline. Right. You know, um, is that survivable? Yeah, it is. 
Um, is it unlikely? Because guess what? We were just at 3,600 a few months back, right? right? So, And and the, the scarier thing about this is we had a year which is pretty strong, and now things are starting to uh, kind of cap out. And Well, we, we saw a huge run-up in just a few areas. That's yeah. the weird part, right? Like, we look at it the was, S&P yeah, 500. weighted. Like, the big yeah. stocks are carrying the team. The right index now. is up 20% year-to-date. Mm-hmm. But if you strip the mega large tech companies out, how has the market really done? Yeah. And Probably negative or flat. Yeah, it's it's much worse. Mm-hmm. Than if you, in fact, they're, they're now starting to call it the Magnificent Seven. Right, well, the top yeah. seven stocks of the S and P five hundred, and how much they are carrying right. the water for the entire index. Right, and they're a lot of these companies. You know, you look at Meta, almost at all time highs. Mm-hmm. Microsoft, Apple, like we're seeing some of these big companies hitting the, the the top of the range where that's like basically the most expensive the stock has ever been. Yeah, so. Um, it begs this important question with these giant stocks sort of leading the charge and raising the bar higher and higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what next? <laughs> what will we talk about after this break? I would love to know. Yeah. And the, and the answer you is, better stay it's tuned. Gonna be, it's <laughs> going to be some thoughts on those stocks and what investors should potentially Does it consider. have anything to do with interest rates? going to say it doesn't. Ah. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Well on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. So you say bubble wrap, and I don't, I don't think of it as. Bonds aren't the bubble wrap? It wasn't defensive. Oh. That's the thing. Okay. Um, I, I think it was strategic. Hmm. Right? I think it is strategy. Yeah. I, I strategy mean, with a little bit of bubble wrap. <laughs> I, I just don't want to give them the missed number. All right, welcome back to the True Well Show, where we're now debating in the breaks about um, how things. We were talking about the big stocks, right? The the the, yeah. the magnificent seven. I don't even know what they are. I should probably Google that and tell you. Google, Amazon, Meta, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, and Tesla. Tesla. There yeah. it is. So nailed it. Uh, anyway, so these mega cap stocks that have been driving the market, and the the, the question. So so we've talked about this guy, J.P. Morgan says, what if the S&P goes back from forty. 500 to 3500 next year mm-hmm. right it's almost 20 percent pullback and how could that happen and the answer would be well those seven stocks could all have pullbacks which if they're at all-time highs is it really theoretically that insane no no, no. not and really in fact what would cause something like that and it would be structural changes to the economy mm-hmm. maybe not structural that's that's maybe the wrong way to put or, it um but but changes to the economy where the consumer can't put as much money into those companies. Sure. I mean, okay. if the recessionary talks are as real as everyone says yeah, they are, if it's like, a real recession, are you going to be buying two brand new iPhones or maybe you're just going to kind of hold on to the one that you have? Right. And it's, if you know, are com- you going to be buying a new Tesla? Are you going yep. to be spending the set? Will companies be spending as much on, on advertising on, advertising. on Facebook? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like these are all the big questions. And and so my suspicion, right? This is my my suspicion is that if there's a chink in the armor, that's where it is. Well, and is you, that, you know, these these are companies that, from a trading perspective, they just had monster years. Well, and look at this whole concept of reversion to the average, right? Like, yeah. if if you're trading at all time highs, is it that crazy that you trade more at yeah. your average trade? I mean, you look at Staples, right? Like the 
companies that are historically yeah, not like, the shopping chain no staples you're talking yeah. about like the the category your food the, companies the yeah your food companies and the yeah, those the, the those things consumers always buy razors right. and food products those are historically pretty cheap if you look at the stocks are not yeah. the staples themselves <laughs> no sell. those are up 20 something percent like but yeah. it's just it's i don't think it's crazy to see that the market might move in a different direction we had a year of tech being heavy on the on switch Maybe it's not on as much in the yeah, following year. It stands to reason if one was a trader, one would look at this and say, this was a heck of a year. It's time to take a breather and allow the prices to come back into alignment. Well, going back to Warren Buffett, sell when everyone's greedy. 2023 was the year of greed. Everyone wanted to ride these tech stocks. Well, I'm amazed how much look people at lately have changed their tune. Right. Yeah. Everybody went from in October, it's all coming down to a crisis to now November. Like, are you sure we shouldn't be just pushing into the markets with more? Yeah. Money? And I look at this and think just logically, November was a huge month. Mm -hmm. It stands to reason that profit taking would occur. Yep. And then there's some other elements at play. Right. End of the year. We have a big options expiration coming up on the 15th where right. options and futures and a bunch of stuff align all at the same time. But here's so. the thing. The, here's the X factor. The markets could just keep blaring higher. They could. Because here's the thing. Inflation's real. If we have 10 20% inflation on a lot of different materials and goods, at some point the market should, in theory, start to price some of that in, too, where the companies are worth more. If everything costs more, maybe the companies are worth more because companies have inflated in value. Right. This yeah. is the, the Black Friday theory of why yeah. did the stores seem empty, but they said it's record sales. Uh-huh. It's like, well, you could buy less, but you paid more. Yep. So at some point, you would think that would trickle into the markets as well. So it's really hard to say, yeah, this guy at J.P. Morgan's right. Things are crashing down when other things could point in the other direction. Right. So what does that all mean to investors? Well, I mean... We still it, don't know. I it think, goes I think, back to this theory that there is no magic crystal ball that's going to tell you which way things are headed. Yeah. I mean, it really does. And anytime but, somebody says they could predict the future, I mean, this J.P. Morgan analyst is going to be a hero or is going to be a fool. Yep. Right? But there are things you can do in the meantime to insulate yourself and put some bubble wrap on, right? <laughs> I see just turn and look away and shake my head. It's... Well, Matt and I routinely do this, just so you guys know, where we use I'm different... just here to frustrate you and it's, just make you I, cringe. I, I, I think it's a different thing than Matt. And then he's like, nope, I'm going to say it this way. Yep. And I go, all right, you know what? Bubble wrap it. Matt. How would you say it? When I, when I said earlier that I think it's strategic, what I mean is that it's, it's not because we're being risk averse that we would change asset classes. It's mm -hmm. because we think the landscape is different. That's neither risk seeking nor risk avoiding. It's saying, it's true. Well, actually, it's, it's just a different strategy. Yeah, I'm a different saying, strategy for a different time. Yeah, I'm just adapting to new opportunities and saying what got us to this point is not what gets us to the next point because the conditions are different. Mm -hmm. And to give you a real life example of what this means, okay, our firm largely didn't purchase bonds. I'm not going to say we purchased none because there was some really weird, obscure, and esoteric scenarios where we maybe had one or two, but we basically didn't touch bonds. For um, years until, gosh, when until did we the really... last six months? Maybe, yeah, you know, ish, 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 where we started sniffing around, and, and in the last three months, we started saying, you know, interest rates are really starting to get high enough that bonds are not 
so crazy looking as assets anymore. but not just any bonds we were really focusing on stuff that had a fixed end date right like a well, fixed all maturity bonds date do. we just yeah. didn't buy mutual funds that's a separate conversation sure. that we don't really have time for but you know we yeah we were looking at the actual bond like instruments that mm -hmm. had maturity dates and we said well you can now buy these things when you're seeing yields at six seven eight percent in mm -hmm. some bonds you could buy those right. right the risk reward is there Right, because at some point, you know, you look yeah. at the S and P and say it's yeah, average. But I mean, I, why would you tie up your money for ten years, make two percent when the market's moving two percent in a day? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take ten years to get what the market gives me in a day. Right. So it, the risk reward was all out of whack. Anyway, all all I'm saying is that conditions do change. We're seeing them change right now, and there are some things about this marketplace that are very different than they were a few years ago. Right. Yields look very different with interest rates today than they did several years ago. And we've seen some real concentration in the indexes in a handful of stocks, which means that there's some potential risks there. So as investors, as you start getting toward the end of the year, I encourage you to take a hard look at how your accounts are really invested. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so it's just be armed with knowledge. And if you've got your person, go to them. Check into that. It's a great time to do year in planning. If you don't have your person, you're welcome to give us a call. Matt loves to give out our phone number. I do. It's 541-375-0898. All right. And with that, as you can hear the music, that means it is time for us to get out of here. But uh, just a reminder, you can catch our podcast at info or go to littlejohnfs.com. You can email at info at littlejohnfs.com. And that number again is 541-375-0898. But we're out of time for now. So until next time, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Well on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.